0: and welcome to another episode of Women Who Travel, a podcast from Conde Nast Traveler. I'm Meredith Carey, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Laleh Ericoglu. Hello. We have two very familiar voices on the podcast today to talk about one of our absolute favorite things, which is books, of course. We're joined by Lisa Lucas, publisher at Pantheon and Shockin' Books, and Jin Dilling-Martin, deputy publisher at Riverhead Books, to talk specifically about books that help us reset and relax books that bring us a little bit of zen. But before we get into your recommendations, and before I say the word books another 30 times, uh, Jen and Lisa, I'd love to ask you, when you first knew that reading was an escape for you?
1: Well, I was an only child until I was 13, and my brother was born. And, you know, I was an 80s kid, you know, working parents, latchkey. And I think I just, you know, has high energy, I really always wanted to be talking or doing something or but that just wasn't the reality of kind of like a sleepy suburban latchkey kid, 80s childhood. And so I don't know exactly when, but I remember realizing that if I was just stir crazy and, you know, losing my mind and like I didn't want to watch Wheel of Fortune, that uh, a book was going to be something that kept my attention and passed the time and felt kind of like a friend when I couldn't go out and play with friends. Um, so it was really early for me that books became a real replacement for you know, social activity that I might not have access to on a rainy day or a snowy day or after school when I couldn't go out. So I think that was the origin point. And it served me really well, you know, to this day. You know, it's like, look, there's been a big, long pandemic, if you haven't heard. And um, it was definitely like a real comfort to be like, well, there's a bookshelf full of people I can hang out with.
2: As an only child, I relate to that. Very much, reading as a child helped teach me how to be by myself. Because even if you have lots of friends as an only child, you also have a lot of time alone, hanging out in your room. And books were the way I kept myself entertained. And like you said, if I had nothing to do and no one was around, I knew I had like a shelves full of people I could visit.
1: I feel like the way that I said it before made me sound kind of like the lonely doll. I did have friends. It was not like <laughs> yeah. a total. But you
0: just <laughs> you, you
1: have downtime. <laughs> you do like there's like there's a lot of time in the day you know the pandemic taught you that right like it's like you wake up and it's like okay we're going for like 16
2: 17 hours you know you can get a lot done so
1: I did have friends
2: school holidays like in the summer the, that break is long and your parents are working got a lot of time by yourself even even if you're very social and I was very social but a lot of reading
1: we're time. both very social and books were our friends but only because the days are long
0: To confirm, Lala and Lisa both had friends.
3: (laughs) I'm I'm honestly glad they confirmed that because I was really trying to picture Lisa not having friends. Like, Lisa, one of the most, like, loved social humans on the planet, somehow not. I was like, okay, I'm glad. I'm glad this is clarified. Um, I, though, was a deep introvert nerd, uh, which I still am to this day. And I had very few friends. And... Uh, was raised in a very conservative household with effectively no television and definitely no video games or other things like that. So all there was was books. Um, But what came to mind immediately when you asked that, Meredith, was the first book that made me really cry that I read all by myself, which was where the red fern grows. And the realization that a book could be so powerful that I could weep from something that happened in a fictional landscape was... This very profound realization, I think in like first or second grade, like, but I can remember the brown couch, the velvet couch that I cried on, like the whole tactile experience of it is so vivid. Like it was really, really intense. Yeah.
0: I feel like that lack of TV is like something that really plays into it for me as well Mm. because I was very very limited in what I was allowed to watch and how much I could watch as a kid. And I just remember getting like a boxed set of Magic Treehouse books and just reading them straight through like one through 10 and then starting over again. Every day it was just like the same thing and to find like newness in the same books day after day, and to get to travel with the kids in the Magic Treehouse books, I feel like was the game changer for me. And then I have had to fight the like speed reading, binge reading ability that I trained into myself as a kid, uh, to, as an adult, to like slow down and like pay attention to the words on the page rather than flying through books, um, which was my habit as a kid.
2: Also, if you're an only child, when you go on vacation with your parents or you go to stay with grandparents, it's just you. You're the only kid. And so I did a lot of reading then when I would spend like weeks and weeks in like the middle of nowhere in Wales at my grandparents' house. There was nothing to do but either hang out on my grandparents' farm or read. And so I read a ton. And I think that and all the sort of family vacations that I went on with my parents has made reading an intrinsic part of being away for me. And I need that time by myself, even if I'm on a trip with lots of friends, to basically scurry myself away and read for a few hours. And it's only now that I'm, as I'm getting older, I'm starting to see, I think, see my only child characteristics come out more. And reading is a huge part of that.
0: I will say the reading on vacation... That is something that my family does too. So I feel like the only child is like my brother and I would just have to sit next to each other while my parents read and be like, okay, are you gonna read? Cause I'm gonna read, okay, here we go. We're all gonna sit silently on the beach. And like, we've had trips where we've like passed books around as people finished them when we were in middle school and high school. So you, you had friends and
3: <laughs> reading on vacation is for everyone. A lot of <laughs> friends, many friends. <laughs> I had no friends. (laughs) Shout out Aaron Armstrong, my one friend. Um, We've
0: talked on the podcast over the past two years that we've been recording these book episodes remotely um, about like the ebbs and flows of our focus and ability to set aside time to read. Um, I feel like every time we do this, one of us is in a different spot in like how much we're reading, but I'd love to know how your relationship with reading, especially since you guys both work in publishing, has changed over time?
1: I mean, the change in my reading has been radical as of January 2021, because I didn't have to read for work the same way that I do now. You know, I was reading for work. We had the National Book Awards, and I was keeping tabs on all the things that were going on. And But I wasn't the judge. I didn't have to read the submissions. And now the submissions are very different, and I spend a lot of time reading them. So, you know, for me, they're sort of like reading towards... Acquisition, there's reading towards editorial. You know, I'm editing and pleasure reading has been very hard to come by because I'm still learning how to balance it all. But I do now understand why everybody that I knew who worked in publishing would like have a stack of 462 books before they went on vacation. Like, this is what I'm reading (laughs) for these three days that I'm going to the beach. It makes total sense to me because I keep buying them, they're stacking up. And normally I would have read some of them but it's definitely like a really different rhythm, but it's like, I appreciate it more now. Like when I'm reading an actual published book between two covers with descriptive jacket copy, you know, and visual cues as to what I might be reading and um, also physical, so I know how long I will be reading. It's like going to the beach, just the reading itself feels like a
3: vacation.
0: Jin, how has your relationship with reading changed over the years?
3: I mean, I, I'm feeling very philosophical now that we started all the way with our childhoods. Like, But I, I actually think mostly it hasn't, which is I still really love, I love books that make me cry. I love books that make me laugh. I love books that bring me to very intense emotional places and open worlds that I wouldn't know about or get to see otherwise. And I mean, I even have this weird appetite for... Um, There's this amazing, uh, like, tiny used bookstore near me that has these kind of like arcane nonfiction books, like Index of the Smithsonian Holdings from 1880, you know, or Guide to the Mental Asylums of New York State in 1825. And looking through these books and just looking into worlds from the past as well as the present, it's just such a gift and it never stops being such a gift. And I don't know if I would have answered this way if we hadn't started with the childhood question, but I feel feel (laughs) very, just like, yeah.
0: So I know at the beginning of this episode, I said we were going to talk about books that bring us to a more restful place, maybe bring us a little zen. And I also know that before this episode, we were all talking about how reading doesn't necessarily bring us to those places. And I'm just curious when you guys look for books to read for joy, to, like, fill your relaxation time, if you can set any time aside for that, what kinds of books are you looking for, even if the books themselves are not a guide to Pilates or whatever, like, thing that people think it that should be?
3: It's, again, such a freighted, intense world moment. It has felt, you know, I think for a lot of us, relentless for very, very, very long time at this point. When I'm feeling... That disrupted inside, it's actually poetry that I go to. And there's something about its compactness, precision. It shifts you out of the intensity of the news of the moment and into a much longer time frame and time view. And so, in general, poetry is where I turn when I'm feeling just internally disrupted or anxious.
2: Is there any particular poetry that you find yourself returning to?
3: Lala, it's funny you ask. I did come prepared for this. <laughs> <laughs> this, is,
2: this is a quiz.
3: <laughs> um, so I have, which will surprise no listeners of my recommendations, uh, I have a little bit more off-kilter sensibility. And so, you know, there's the standard staple, like Mary Oliver poems. And those are, you know, those are amazing and spot on and right into the heart of uh, human emotion. But I'm a little bit of a weirder reader. So there's a poet named Mary Ruffel, who's my personal favorite, who her images are just like weirder and more slant. And she's funny, which is very hard to find in poets. But just this weekend, I was turning back to one of her collections, feeling you know pretty unsettled by the news. And she had this line in this poem... <laughs> don't be a fly wringing its hands as though worry could save the world it's just it's so perfect it just like uses these little moments to pull you out of where you're at and then remind you of larger stakes and different ways of living and being and she's beautiful for that
2: I love that and I feel like it's a really beautiful way of saying what I have been trying to teach myself to do which is that I cannot be worried about every bad thing that's happening all at the same time which I think has definitely been a dominating factor Mm. of the past two years not just for me but I imagine for lots of people and almost feeling like I'm doing something wrong if I'm not worrying about what's happening in the greater world all the time Mm -hmm. and yeah you're not much help if you spiral yourself into a state
0: of despair Lisa, what types of books do you turn to when you're looking for escape, relaxation, a chance to disconnect?
1: You know, I think it's funny. I mean, I don't read books that I think people would normally read to relax. I like a big history. You know, when the world is the way that it is right now, I think that I feel like I can't understand, right? Like I can't wrap my brain around what's happening or the geopolitical situation, or the biology of a pandemic, or the complicated precedence of the Supreme Court, right? And how people figured it out. And so I think what gives me comfort is actually being able to master something. You know, like one of the things I've been reading a lot, and it doesn't really suit us for this particular podcast, but I've been reading a lot about conservative politics, like the origin point of modern conservatism, which might sound really stressful, if I was going to say that's about as stressful as I can hear. Yeah, but I think that there's something about history that I find comforting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I don't find American racism particularly comforting, but I do find the warmth of other suns to be something. You know, that I find great comfort in learning about and walking through and re-walking through. Um, so there's something about both the span. I mean, I think people like epics and novels, right? It's really comforting to just be inside of a world. But I think that when I'm distressed, I want to be inside of our world, right? And I want to really understand our world better. And so I think that's my tendency is to like, when I really want to get away, it's not necessarily a poem, although those give me great comfort. Like when I've had deaths in the family or I've had, you know, heartbreaks, it's like, you know, it's it's the poets that get me through. And I think that, you know, fiction has gotten me through so many moments of sitting in waiting rooms or you know, feeling anxious about something. But I think this kind of global drama, you know, it's like you like who would think that you want to read Svetlana Alexievich in this moment, right? You know, but there's something about women soldiers there's something about what actually happened and is happening in Chernobyl from those voices that actually makes everything less abstract. And I think that what makes me sad in this moment is the abstraction of our times, the disassociative feeling like that this isn't real, you know, it's like, so as much as we don't want to read about the climate, it makes me feel more comfortable to understand the destruction and the glory of our world, you know, because it is too abstracted when I read the news. It is too abstracted when I, you know, look at climate rebellion, And you're like, we're going to, in 10 years, this is going to happen. And it's like, I don't even know what happened 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago. I don't even know what I'm missing. So it's like, I want to read about an iceberg. I want to read about an island. I want to read about, you know, biodiversity. I want, you know, those are the sorts of things that my brain wants when I'm feeling really out of sorts.
0: I think for me, like what you were saying, Lisa, about wanting like that, like these big books and this escape offer us that chance and that you go towards the nonfiction, I go the other way and I go like sci-fi, fantasy, big, like fully insert myself somewhere else that does not exist, that will never exist. Things like Ursula K. Le Guin's Earthsea trilogy, things like N.K. Jemison's Broken Earth trilogy, like these big books where you follow these characters through their lives in this world that, I mean, in the case of Broken Earth could be our own, but a little bit not to fully pull out. And even though it's a big book, you really have to pay attention. Like sometimes that needing to like learn about a different world is what helps me like relax from the one we're living in. Lale, where do you fall? I
2: definitely turn to fiction when I feel myself in a state of anxiety or crisis, or just needing to take a beat to lose myself in something in the hopes of bettering my mental health. A book that I'm always trying to recreate the feeling of, Um, you know, how certain novels just give you a feeling, is um, Secret History by Donna Tartt. I think because it's such an enclosed world where you can completely lose yourself in the universe of these characters that's just in the microcosm of a Vermont college. And for me, I'm always trying... To find that book again and ultimately I just need to reread secret history I think um <laughs> yeah. and I think I also because I I read it at a time when it was a cold march in New York and I was unemployed and broke and I tore through secret history and it provided me with so much comfort and that it just I like lost myself in it for a week and like I said I'm always trying to find that in, in books and it's so rare when you do and it, you know I think a different books give that for different people but yeah I think there's a certain level of world building like Meredith said that I look for but not quite to the extent of full sci-fi but one other thing which definitely has no relation to wellness but it's something that I've been finding myself turning to to my surprise is actually horror I've been reading Shirley Jackson and the best I, I I don't know I think it must just be that I want to read about a horror that looks different from the one outside my window. Yeah, it's it's been a joy. I've really been enjoying it, and it's just it's a whole kind of part of fiction I've never really dipped my toe into before. It's so interesting,
1: Lala. You know, I guess it's just been such a mess. You know, with all the disconnection and war, and you know, it's just been a brutal, brutal, brutal run that we've all been having for longer than I think we realize that we've been having a brutal run. Mm. I think I think one of the things, reading about, you know, just ways to be good to one another, uh, you know, I've been kind of on this kick. I read Bell Hooks' is All About Love, and then I read Sarah Schulman's Conflict is Not Abuse. And I think, like, ultimately, no matter what those, the granular subject matter is, and it deals with conflict, and it deals with things that don't go well, but I think at the core of both of those is a very loving intention, you know, for the reader to, like, try to be better to the people around them. And I think that that's much on my mind. is like how not how to be good, like in a self helpy kind of, you know, 10 steps to being a better person, but like actually just reading about ways that we aren't good. And I think the Shulman is really interesting because it sort of looks at the personal and then it looks at the domestic and then it looks at the global. And it has this really smart way of sort of taking a conflict between two lovers or between family members or between friends and then saying, here's a conflict in a nation. And here's a conflict in the world. And it just shows how not getting along has all of these, you know, magnificently dramatic outcomes. And, um, and that you don't have to operate this way. There are other ways. And I think that that's um, heartening to me, that there are people in the world writing about how we can be good or better and thinking about what the steps for us to get there are. And I think that it's really easy to look at like self help you know, as, like, really individual, right? Like, it's like, I want a husband. I want to be rich. I want to have it all, you know, whatever it is. And, and and that's fine, but there's something about these that are more about collective and union and the fact that we are sharing a world, you know, and that all of these systems work together. And I think books that remind me of that and of community and communion with others and of bridging rather than dividing, not in the straightforward political way, not like on both sides of the aisle, you know, but like just actually this idea of like how to connect, you know, we're super disconnected on a, like on a practical, physical, chaotic pandemic level, less so than we were, but still there's divides. Um, But we're just emotionally and intellectually apart. And I think that it's been hard to sort of You know, grow up in an uneasy time, but to end up in an even more uneasy one. And those books give me some hope. And I think that's what I need most of all is just like everything I read has to have some hope, some reason.
2: As you were talking, I was thinking about how any kind of human story or image that's given me hope over the last two years or has affected me, has never been one that's about individualism, right? It's always about the collective. And that has been like the biggest takeaway for me for the last two years, for sure.
3: Uh, This is a perfect setup for a book I really did want to recommend today, which is I've gotten super into the activist Polly Murray. There's this incredible documentary about Polly um, that you can watch online that has like sent me down this whole uh, rabbit hole. Um, But uh, Polly was like... The civil rights advocate and gender equality advocate and co-founded now and was the only woman in her Howard University Law School class 15 years before Ruth Bader Ginsburg was in law school. Like this is like 1941, if you can imagine being a woman in law school, much less a Black woman in law school. And she has this incredible memoir, Song in a Weary Throat, that is almost like all the things Lisa's been expressing, like, but beautifully wrapped together. And it has this very famous quote in it that she says, like, in not a single one of these little campaigns, like all the things she was fighting for, was I victorious. In other words, in each case, I personally failed, but I have lived to see the thesis upon which I was operating vindicated, and I've lived to see my lost causes found. And it's such a beautiful, like, taking the really, really long view of progress and of human connection and that hope that Lisa's speaking about, and seeing someone who lived at another time through other forms of incredible hardship, challenge, and discrimination, and who's still able to articulate this so beautifully and see a certain perspective on progress. And yeah, Polly also has a poetry collection too.
1: She's amazing. Also like a very good segue into something that I have been reading that I wanted to recommend that's making me feel good, which I full disclosure is a Pantheon book. So sorry, but we just published a book called Civil Rights Queen, which is the first major biography of Constance Baker Motley, whose name I always invert embarrassingly, but I didn't this time who was actually um, the first federally appointed judge. And so as we think about Biden and his nomination in the Supreme Court, it's been unbelievable. I like, I actually did not know about her work and just watching this woman who broke every single possible barrier and the important, like, and the good work that she was able to do as a jurist, you know, in these federal courthouses just goes to show you that having equity in those seats means everything. Um, and not having it leaves us where we are. It maybe gives a little bit of um, fuel for the fight, if that makes sense, right? Like seeing how important this woman's life was, and as we sort of like Twitter argue about like should we be picking judges based on da 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 and fighting with each other, it's just like no, this is great. You know, this is really important. Representation matters, and so it's encouraging because it sort of feeds into a lot of the conversations that we're all having, you know, as a society. But like, I think if more of us knew about Constance Baker Motley, it would be a different conversation. And so, you know, there's something about having that information and feeling connected to the media cycle in a real way. But, you know, but a real advocate, a real, you know, a real meaningful person in the civil rights movement and in our history and a strong woman who did a lot for us. So that's been a cool one. And I love, I love a biography. Look at us with
3: so much nonfiction.
0: Um, Din, do you have any other recommendations you'd like to drop here?
3: So I'm fascinated in general by anyone who goes to horror, either in fiction or TV film. Like, to me, life is so stressful already. And that genre does not displace the stress for me. It It just, it just, it just accrues. I'm just like, even more stressed out by it. But the place I do love to go is comedy. So if there's ever, like, the comedic version of the horror that my personal life or the world is playing out, like, then that will be such a release valve for me. And I just recently read, I had never read the Greenwich, Greenwich Village writer Don Powell before, who writes these very, like, light, bitchy, comedic novels in the 1930s and 40s. And there's one called a time to be born that is a send up of the New York literary scene and one ambitious woman in particular trying to capitalize on the fact that it's either world war one or world war two is like beginning to unfold and like to quickly rush to take advantage of it with publications and op-eds and articles. And it's so like, it's so is exactly the laugh I need at, at our own media and publishing industry right now that if anyone needs just like how absurd humanity is in the face of these things, that that is what really gave me an escapist laugh.
1: I am so sold.
3: I can't wait to read that. Oh, my God.
1: I die for funny. I can never find enough funny books. Like, I feel like there are not enough funny books to keep me happy because I love them so much.
2: Plus one. I agree. It's poking fun at New York literary circles is top of mind for me because I'm three quarters of the way through Sex and Rage by Eve Babbitts, And um, I just wrapped up reading a scene at the Russian tea room that was very withering in its observations and i'm having so much fun reading it i've never read that book before and now i feel like i have the whole world of eve babbitts who i know isn't a comedy isn't writing comedy but um has a whole world of her books to explore so that's that's been a nice discovery for me actually and in terms of self-care i was reading it in the bath
0: so so you know it all ties <laughs> well up. done well
2: done
0: <laughs> uh lisa do you have any other recommendations on books that that you've turned to? Yeah,
1: well, so I'm actually turning to a book currently, so I have not finished it yet, but I just picked up Vladimir by Julia Mae Jonas, which is like, insofar as I have read, yes. Like, I'm like, I'm all in, I'm absorbed, there's a lot going on, it is definitely funny, and it seems like we're about to get into it. Like, from what I can tell from the first, like, 50 pages, is we're about to get into it, which is actually what I'd like to do. Like, it just feels juicy. The cover is, like, flame emojis. I can't. I mean, we should, <laughs> no, just, we should describe the cover. I mean, so it's, like, this fuzzy-chested dude in a corduroy open. he's no T-shirt on, but he's wearing a blazer, corduroy blazer, and he's got a gold chain on, and his pants or the blanket are real low, and his hand real is just kind of placed just so <laughs> It's
0: a trip. I saw it in the store and I was like, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. It is very much one of those, like, I am definitely going to judge a book by this cover. And by judge, I mean, pick it up. When was the last time you saw a hot dude
1: on the cover of a book? <laughs> I really, I mean, in really your head. <laughs> just Just bad.
2: If, if you shrunk that book to like the quarter of the size and put it in a Hudson News, you'd think it was a totally different Sold. type of book. The
3: vibe has shifted. <laughs>
2: yeah no i
3: i bow to avid reader press they're they're trying to pioneer literary soft porn and i am i'm we're all here for it uh, standing <laughs> standing ovation
1: i mean like uh, i really do want to be like clap clap
3: clap like congratulations yeah. everybody yeah this Lisa, is fun I, I read that entire book and i think like 56 minutes so you'll you'll be done in no time but it was yeah it doesn't
1: a, feel like it's gonna take a whole long time did you like it
3: oh yeah so fun so fun and a send-up of Academia, which is media publishing adjacent. So definitely anyone mm-hmm. who wants a good, like, naughtiness in the academia world, this book is here for you.
1: Speaking of naughty, has anybody read the Anonymous Sex no. compilation yet? <laughs> which I think is cool, and I have not yet read it, but it was edited by Hillary Jordan and Cheryl Luling Ten, whose name I probably just butchered and I'm very sad about it. But it's like 27 authors wrote 27 stories that were all about sex, but no one put their names on them. So you don't know who wrote them, but it's like Helen Yemi, Jason Reynolds, Louise Urrea. Like, I'm, I'm so curious. I could not possibly be more curious who wrote what.
0: Um, for books that have not yet come out yet, what are you guys looking forward to reading in the coming months? Because we always get such good previews of what's to come from you both. Um, Jin, what are you most
3: excited about? Uh, I think the one that fits today's category has to be uh, Emma Straub's new novel. So it is total, pure, delicious, escapist fun that then you will be sobbing by the end without even, like, seeing it coming. The premise is a woman, she's in her mid-40s, her life is, like, fine, um, but she discovers a portal back to her 16th birthday, and she gets to relive that day over and over and over and keep trying to do it differently. And she's trying to make these micro adjustments so that her life when she returns to it at age 40 is different than it was going to be. And among things, she's trying to get her dad to stop smoking so that he'll still be alive. And she's also like trying different things with her like major 18-year-old high school crush to see if they can end up together. And but so it's like a lot of laughs and a lot of fun, but the thread of the father-daughter relationship is really movingly done and not something I think you get in fiction so often. And um, she really delivers, everyone cries when they read it. And yeah, but in, in like the sweetest, warmest way. So
0: Lisa, how about Lisa? How about you?
1: Yeah, no, I'm really excited. So Margot Jefferson, uh, who did Negroland some years ago, finally has a new one coming up, constructing a nervous system. And it's a memoir, but it's really about how all of these different influences of music and dance and film and around the world sort of formed her into the person that she is. So it's really pop cultural and intellectual, but she always manages to be so lively. It's like, I feel like sometimes somebody's like, this person's really intellectual and you've fallen asleep before they even finish telling you the name of the author, right? You're like, oh, cool. I'm going to like, you know, just like hack my way through 600 pages of, you know, dense academic text. But Margot writes in the complete opposite way. She's a dream. She's electric. She's funny and she's searing and she's never, ever anything like you think she's going to be. It's kind of like, and and, and I'm not going to make a comparison between Joan Didion and and Margot Jefferson at this moment, but I do think that when we read Joan Didion, right, it's like very elevated, you know, she's a master writer, but it's like, it always feels kind of like cool to be reading it. And Margot feels the same way to me. So I'm just so excited um, for people to read that one because it's, you know, unfortunately very difficult to explain because her mind is just so limber, but it's this like adventure through the becoming of a person through all of the influences and all of the influences are not what you would think they would be. But also funny, but also human, but also super warm, but also super black, but also super Margot. It's just great.
0: I mean... Sold, yeah, also. I don't <laughs> like, wait to sold, read sold, sold, both <laughs> of those books. Ah, uh, well, this has been so lovely to talk to you both. If people want to
3: keep up with you on the internet, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Jin, J-Y, and then a lot of N's and then the letter E. I'm at Lika Luca, L-I-K-A-L-U-C-A on
1: Instagram and Twitter.
0: I'm at Oh Hey There, Mayor. And I'm at Lale Hannah. You can find links to every single book that we talked about in the show notes. Be sure to check them out and be sure to follow Women Who Travel on Instagram as well as sign up for our biweekly newsletter and we'll talk to you next week.